Good evening and welcome again. We're glad that you're here tonight. We want to encourage those of you that are visiting to please come back and visit with us again. We're so thankful for your presence. We have some that are regular visitors and for that we're grateful. It might be that you're looking for a church home and as always we invite you to consider the work here. I mentioned this morning the fact that two weeks from today our young men will be conducting our worship service on Sunday morning and we want to do everything that we can to fill the building. We want to encourage all of you to be present. We want to try to reach out to our friends and neighbors, encourage them and their presence, your presence will be an encouragement to the young men as they lead our service. And I mentioned a moment ago, or actually mentioned this morning, that they will be leading every aspect of our worship service. And so I know that you will benefit from being here, and I promise you they will benefit. It will be a great encouragement to them. And I really admire the courage that they have to stand up and to be a part to serve in this capacity. I also want to make mention of the fact that not only do we have a great group of young men, but we have a great group of young ladies. And I know that they may not have as visible a role in some respects as the guys do, but they are just as important. And so we appreciate them very, very much, and we're very thankful for them. Tonight we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 2, and really I guess you could say We'll look at chapter 1 just very briefly. I want to begin tonight by asking the question, how do you plan to spend the last day of your life here on earth? I understand you're probably thinking, how do I know how I will spend my last day here upon this earth? None of us have a crystal ball. We're not privileged to look into the future. As the prophet said on one occasion, Amos, he said, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. We are not prophets. And so in many respects, we have no idea how we will spend our last day here upon this earth. But one day, whether we like it or not, life will come to a close. And so that being the case, and of course, unless Jesus comes first, that being the case, we will all step out into eternity. We will all spend a final day here upon this earth. So, how will we spend that day? I would hope and pray that as we come to the close of life here upon planet earth, that we are found to be faithful, productive servants of Almighty God. I want to call attention to one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah was a great man, and yet Elijah, like many of us, had his struggles in life. And though he was a man of great courage and conviction, Elijah, he faced some downtimes in his life. But the reason I call attention to Elijah is because we have a record of his final day here upon this earth. 
And there are some things that maybe we would do well to consider in light of his final days here upon this earth and more specifically, his final day upon earth. I want to begin by suggesting that first of all, he was a man who was still speaking for the Lord. When Elijah came to the end of his life, he was still a messenger of Almighty God. In chapter 1, the writer speaks of a king by the name of Ahaziah. And according to the inspired writer, this man fell. He had an accident. And based on his injury, and based on what the record says, it must have been a serious injury. And so he sent messengers to Baal, Beelzebub, the god of Akron. Now what you need to understand is this is a pagan god, the lord of the flies. He is inquiring the status of his physical condition from a pagan deity. Now in verse 3 the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Arise and go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Akron? Now listen to what is said in verse 4. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up but you shall surely die. And then Elijah departed. The messengers returned to the king. The king inquired as to why they had come back. And they said, well, a man met us. And according to what the writer says, gave these instructions. Go and return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire a Beelzebub. Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. I love what the king says now. What kind of man was it that came up to meet you and told you these words? And they said he was a hairy man. He wore a leather belt around his waist. And according to the text, the king said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. His reputation well known to the king. But note, if you will, Elijah was a spokesman for Almighty God. In the final days of his life, as his life was nearing an end, here's Elijah, he's standing before the king, or he will ultimately stand before the king. First he meets with the messengers. Later he meets with the king. But it says, thus says the Lord. Here was a guy that was a true messenger of Almighty God. He spoke on behalf of the Lord. He spoke words of truth. In the Old Testament, we read about Haggai the prophet. And he said he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. 
That's exactly what Elijah was. He was a messenger of the Lord. I would hope as we come to the end of our life here upon this earth that we are still the kind of people that have faith in God, trust in his word, and that when we talk to people and interact with people, we are still telling people this is what, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. Because we believe in the power of God's holy word. I do not believe the power of the gospel, the power of God's word has diminished at all. It's just as powerful today as it was when it was written 2,000 years ago. Speaking of the New Testament, 3,500 years ago, if you're talking about the Old Testament, beginning to be written. But nonetheless, it is the power of God unto salvation. I want you to notice a, a second thing in connection with this thought. Not only was he not only was he a messenger of God, but he is described as a man of God. If you look at the text in verse 9, the king dispatched a captain with 50 of his men to go into meet up with Elijah. And here's what he said about him. Man of God, the king has said, come down. Now you'll find that the king sent three captains along with their men to meet Elijah. And here is how Elijah is spoken of by the captain, man of God. I want to ask you a question. When people think of your name, in other words, when people talk about you or they think about you, do they think of you as a person of God, as a man of God, a woman of God, a young person of God? Do you remember Timothy, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy? And the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that he is described as a man of God. Timothy was a young man, and yet he was described as a servant of God, a man of God. There's a lot to be said about the legacy that we're creating here upon this earth. At some point in time, unless Jesus comes, we will die. And people will reflect upon our life. Will they think of us as a person of God? Here's what Solomon said. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. You are creating, you are cultivating a name for yourself, whether you realize it or not. As a young person, as a middle-aged person, as an older person. We are developing a reputation. And I would hope and pray that our reputation is that of a person of God. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see. I want us to look at chapter 2 very quickly. We talk about Elijah and how he spent his final days and more specifically, his final day. Not only was he still speaking for the Lord, but the Bible tells us he was still serving the Lord. Now somebody says, well, how do you know that? Well, look at chapter 2. In chapter 2, the text says, it came to pass, verse 1, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. 
I want you to think for a minute about how this great prophet of God was on a mission. He was on a mission from God. Note what it said. In verse 1, the Bible says that he's in Gilgal. From there he goes to Bethel based upon the instructions of the Lord. Then he goes to Jericho. And then from Jericho to the Jordan. A distance of about almost 25 miles. God has already told him, as well as the sons of the prophets, that he will be taken from them. And yet on his final day, what's he doing? He's serving the Lord. Listen to what it said, verse 2. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets, that is the schools of the prophets. And there were schools of the prophets in different cities. The text says, the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know, keep silent. So here we have Elijah coming to the close of his life and how is he spending his life? He's serving the Lord. God said, I want you to go from Gilgal to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, and from there to the Jordan. Now we talk about how we're going to spend our last day. We really don't know. But I would hope and pray that, that we might have the privilege of in some capacity serving the Lord on our final day. Wouldn't that be great? I was thinking about cowboys. Cowboys like to use the expression, dying with their boots on. I want to die with my boots on. I want to go home to be with the Lord, working and serving. I don't want to retire. I want to serve the Lord. I want to be used by the Lord. I want you to see something else. We talk about his service on behalf of, on behalf of the Lord. And we're, and we're, going, to, we're going to come back in just a minute and, and think about his mission. But I want you to note, Elijah said, the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. And then from Bethel, as I said a moment ago, to Jericho and then to the Jordan. On his final day, he is submissive to Almighty God. Now we talk about what makes a great man or a great woman. Let me tell you what makes you great in the eyes of God. Yielding your will to his will. A willingness on your part to say, whatever God wants me to do, I'm willing to do it. I may not necessarily understand everything he says in his word. I may not necessarily understand what he would have me to do in some capacities. But I want to serve him. I want to be true to his word, come what may. Elijah was that kind of man. God said, I want you to go here. Guess what? Elijah picked up and went where he was instructed to go. Now, as God's people today, God speaks to us through his word. And what we have to have is a willingness to submit to his will. To say, okay, this is what you want. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bow 
in submission to your will. Did not Jesus do that very thing? Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed to God the Father? And he said, not my will, but your will be done. In everything we do, we ought to, we ought to take the view that God's will takes precedence. Now, back to his mission. If you look at Elijah and you see him going from city to city and visiting the schools or the sons of the prophets, the record does not tell us what was said to those individuals. But I wonder, is it possible that he was going from city to city and visiting with the sons of the prophets to bid them farewell? Is it possible that he was going to visit these men and to bid them to be faithful to God. Do you remember when Paul wrote his last letter to Timothy? And he said, the time of my departure is at hand, I'm already being offered. He said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He went on to say, I fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. The idea is that Paul was saying goodbye to Timothy. And in his goodbye letter, he is instructing him on what to do as a preacher of the gospel. I can just imagine Elijah meeting with these men, the sons of the prophets. He's got Elisha beside him. Elisha's going to be a successor. And he's encouraging these guys. He's trying to strengthen them. He's telling them to be true to Almighty God. They could look back over the life of Elijah and they could see where God had stood by him. That great showdown that Elijah had with the prophets of Baal back in 1 Kings chapter 18. And then here's Elijah in chapter 19, discouraged and distraught because Ahab's wife has basically said, I'm going to put you to death. And so, looking back over the life of Elijah, they could have been inspired and encouraged. And so in light of that, not only was he on a mission for God, but he was a mentor for God. We talk about the schools or the sons of the prophets, men that had the opportunity to sit, to learn, to be instructed. And then here's Elisha. Elisha is his protege, we would say. And Elisha does not want to leave Elijah. He wants to stay with him. Wouldn't it have been great to have had the opportunity to have worked and walked and labored and served with a guy like Elijah? I think about Jesus. And the opportunity afforded those men that became his apostles. Men that had the privilege of sitting at the feet of the one we call the master teacher. Can you imagine hearing Jesus preach? The great messages that flowed from his lips and then the miracles that, that were performed over and over and over again. I think about Peter. You know, you look at the life of Peter and you see, here is a guy that 
was a work in progress, like all of us. The Lord could easily, he could have easily said, you know what, Peter, you're not going to cut it. You're not going to make the grade here. But you know what? The Lord was patient and long-suffering with him. He mentored those men. In Acts chapter 4, the Bible tells us that when Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin council, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Let me tell you what. The Lord made a difference in their lives. And I really believe that Elijah made a difference in the life of Elisha. Not only did he make a difference in the life of Elisha, he made a difference in the lives of many other people. Those men that had the opportunity to be a part of the schools of the prophets. Now we talk about mentoring and training our young people. And let me tell you what, I am grateful that the elders of this church want our young people to learn and to lead. You learn and you lead. When do you learn and you lead? When you're young. And then as you grow older in life, you are able to assume positions of responsibility. We talk about training young men. Our, our preacher training schools, one example. Training men to stand in the shoes of others that have preached, that have taught the gospel of Christ. I'd love to be able to preach till, until I'm 100. But I know that's not possible. Number one, I may not live to be 100. And, and number two, I don't know if I will be functioning at 100. But I know this. There are young people that are equipping themselves right now to stand in this pulpit and in pulpits all across the globe, they're training, they're learning. I want you to think about this for a minute. Wouldn't it be great if one of our own, talking about one of, one of the young men of this congregation, one day stood in this pulpit and preached on a regular basis? Wouldn't that be great? I think it'd be awesome. Wouldn't it be great if one of our young men married one of our young ladies and they were a team here? And I see people giggling and laughing. I'll tell you what, it could happen. Sometimes you have to plant the seed. Well, that's what I'm trying to do, plant the seed. The point is this. We have to mentor and train for people to rise up and stand in our shoes. If you look at our lesson text, after Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and the mantle was simply a sheepskin. It was worn by the prophets or by a prophet. In verse 8, the Bible says that he struck the water and it was divided so that the two of them, that is Elijah and Elisha, crossed over 
on dry ground. What a great miracle. And then in verse 9, And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. I don't think what he was asking from Elijah was that he would do more miracles than Elijah had in the past. I think what he was asking was to be viewed as his heir, his successor. And so here's what Elijah said. You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Now if you read the text, you'll find that Elisha saw it. Verse 12, cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw them no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where's the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. And then verse 13 says, When the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rest on Elisha. They recognized him as the successor. But here's my point. When good men fall by way of death, others must rise up and take their place. Same would be true for good women, good godly ladies. Can you imagine... Can you imagine taking the place of Elijah? The shoes that you would have had to have filled? I always think about Moses. When God said to Joshua in the long ago, Moses, my servant, is dead. And guess what? You're now the leader of my people. Those were some big shoes to fill. But let me tell you what, Joshua could fill them. And there are young folks today that will fill the shoes of men that will leave this earth by death. Shoes may be big, but they'll be ready. All because they've been mentored and taught and instructed. I hope and pray that one day we can look back upon the church here and we can say, you know what? There were, a lot of, there were a lot of young people that came out of here that are preaching. They're teaching in our Bible classes. They're serving as elders. They're married to men who are elders, deacons. They're song leaders. The list goes on and on. It can happen, but only if we, like Elijah, mentor them. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see very quickly. And that is, he was swept away by the Lord. We talk about how he was still speaking on behalf of the Lord. He was serving the Lord. And now he is swept away by the Lord. Look at verse 11. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Can you imagine a 
Can you imagine the sight? The only other person that I know spoken of in Scripture that did not physically die, a man by the name of Enoch, a man who walked with God like Elijah. Elijah, this great man, has gone. He's left. And Elisha must carry on. This was, for all practical purposes, Elijah's last day. As we know it, based upon what the Bible says here upon planet Earth. I say that to simply say this. One day, your last day will come, as well as mine. Now, Jesus may come first, but one day, if the Lord delays his coming, we will step out into eternity. The Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that cometh the judgment. I want to ask you a question. Number one, where will you be on your last day? Will you be here in Olive Branch? Will you be living in Memphis? Will you be living in another state, another country? You see, when you come to the end of your life here upon this earth, you'll be living somewhere. Second question, what will you be doing on your last day? Now, there are some, because of their physical condition, will be in a hospital bed. Some may be in a, recl in a recliner. Some might be in a nursing home. Others, a car accident. Who knows? What will, you, what will you be doing on the last day? Will you be serving the Lord? If your health permits, when you come to the last day here upon this earth, what will you have done for the Lord? Think about that for a minute. Look at the life of Elijah. This guy is serving the Lord until the very end. I hope and pray that we have that opportunity. It would be a privilege. At my home congregation in Chattanooga, this has been over 20 years ago, there was an older brother who was about to get up and preach. And before he got up to preach, he had a massive heart attack and died. In the assembly, there was nothing that could have been done to have saved him. His wife had died not, well, maybe several months, not, not, too long before he slipped into eternity. And he missed her. I remember a friend of mine said, I rejoice with him because he's gone to be with his wife. My point is, he was ready to preach. Standing in the wings, ready to preach that night about heaven. And he died. 
He died in service to the Lord. Here's my third question. When you come to your last day, will you be ready? That's really, that's really the question of the hour. When you come to the end of life here upon planet Earth, will you be ready? What do I mean when I say, will you be ready? Will you be ready to meet the Lord? You know, the prophet said on one occasion, prepare to meet your God. One day, we will meet our God. And I would hope and pray that we are ready. Could I say to you, if you're not a Christian, you're not ready to meet God. You may think you are, but you're not. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And based on your belief in Him, willingly, turn from a life of sin, confess His name before others, and be baptized into Christ. Why do you need to be baptized? So your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. So God can add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. Why do you need to be in the church? Because Christ is the Savior of the body of the church, Ephesians 5, 23. Then you need to be faithful until death, Revelation 2, verse 10. What about if, you're, if you are a child of God, but your life is out of harmony with the will of God? Could I say to you, you're not ready to meet God? You're not ready for that final day. So I want you to think very carefully about your life. I want you to know that God is waiting for you to come home. Here's what the Bible says. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In closing, I ask this question. What will you be doing on your final day as we stand and sing?